Welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and today I'm joined by Chris Danboys and Lisa Hunt. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing a term that we use often in our trainings and is written up in some of our books, and that is thinking practitioner. So we're going to discuss what we mean by a thinking practitioner and also maybe some situations where we've seen that play out in real time. So who would like to go first? Well, let let me just say I love the fact that our high five guide, so this is our standard operating procedure guide, has uh, Kevin the monkey in there. And Kevin often points out, uh, highlights thinking practitioner moments in that what might otherwise be a very dry procedural document. So in classic high five uh, cultural fashion, we've infused a bit of of humor and insight into what that is. So if you don't have a copy of the high five guide, I'd urge you to grab one. Um, Besides the operating procedures, there's a lot of philosophical stuff in there, particularly around the thinking practitioner that I think makes a big difference and is is a a key part of the, the education of a practitioner. There's education, there's certification, and both of those topics don't guarantee a competent, qualified practitioner. And I think that's where the term thinking practitioner comes from, is this idea that we have to assess ourselves and not only know the what to do, but the key question is, why are we doing it? And the why is the most critical thing, you know, why do I use a direct tie-in on this element of figure eight follow-through to a harness versus clipping someone in with a carabiner attachment to a double figure eight loop, for instance. Knowing that for each element that I might operate shows a higher level of assessment skill for a particular practitioner that they are thinking about why they're using that tool. And I think this is particularly important at the level two uh, practitioner level. Often at level one, you, you learn how your organization runs an element, and that might be limited in terms of the scope of what you're able to know. But as you mature in the field, the idea of all these whys really is important. Why are we screening participants? Why are we paying attention to the weather? Why do we have the right phone, you know, the weather apps on our phone? There's all these things that go into this notion. It's a big topic. I don't know, Phil, mm-hmm. if you have any specific examples of it. But. So th- this, I can say, is my, my favorite component of training. because, And I was recently having a conversation with someone about what we do as trainers. And I, and I said that the, the thing that I get most excited about is not the teaching of a skill, but it's teaching them how to be able to assess which skill is necessary in the moment and really actually be thinking about it. So it's giving them skill sets beyond the skills that I teach. And it could be in both practical skills, but it could be in activities. If I'm teaching an activity, it's so exciting to also be talking about Tinker. And that's a book that we wrote on this kind of principle also that allows them to be able to take that and be able to fit into any necessary need that they have with their group, what framing they want, And I think the same applies for a challenge course. If people see a traversing element and then they they go to another course and there's a different traversing element, they should have the knowledge base to be able to assess that and be able to operate it. 
And when people say to me, well, I don't know how that one works. That's a problem, right? Like there's, there's no, they haven't really, they haven't got the skill sets to be able to assess looking at something, how to operate it. And I'm comfortable now in, in my skill set that I can go to any course around this country and probably figure out how it's used and be able to figure out where people are climbing from, what end they climb up and all of those components because I have enough skills to be able to analyze what I'm looking at and think about it and really put into practice my knowledge in a different way. I'm taking information and I'm utilizing it in a slightly different way. And that really excites me as a trainer because I often say to people at the start of trainings, and I use this term a lot, I say the aim of this training is to leave you as thinking practitioners, to get to a point where you're a thinking practitioner. And what I mean by that is that you don't leave this training and if someone asks why you do something, your response isn't because Phil told me. Because if that's your response, that's not that's a problem. Your response should be, I do this this way because X, Y, and Z. And you highlighted that, Chris, it's the why. So when people ask, why do I tie this knot? I don't just say, because I'm telling you that's what we're doing. It's, no, I'm going to teach you all of the reasons why you tie it, why we chose to tie directly in on this one, and but not on another one. It's specific to our element because of all the reasons X, Y, and Z. And I, I get excited about when people ask questions. So yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, and I think you know I agree with both of those points, and I and I would also add again, segueing from you, Phil, that I think it's our responsibility as instructors to tell our participants that we want them to think for themselves. I don't think it's a given. I think we have to tell people, especially when we increase the risk or the perceived risk in a in an area of content, like we're getting off the ground now. You're going to be reliant on yourself for your belay, what you know, with claws or whatever. I think I feel like people become more reliant on the instructor, like the higher the risk or or that, you know, it's more like what's the exact technique. And I, and I think one of the things that is important for learners is it early on in a workshop, whether it's an introductory workshop or a more advanced workshop, we set that tone by even talking about language, a standard, a local operating procedure, instructor preference. And I always tell people, I'm hoping that in anything I'm teaching, you're going to be very clear. Is it my preference? Is it the LOP here? Is it a standard? And so folks are learning things in those categories, right? And then applying that for themselves. Like, oh, is that my instructor preference and why? Um, So I think it does. It starts with instruction. I agree, Lisa. And I think part of that is embedded in even the, the flow of how we teach so I think in, in an, you know, a level one, you know, adventure basics, we're introducing the, the concept and building team at the same time when we're doing problem solving initiatives, you know, they're doing key punch and they're figuring out the best way to get the best time. And they're starting to use that problem, you know, that assessment process of how can we uh, do better with these problems and apply the knowledge within the group. And that gets amplified when you get into, you know, beyond basics level skills where they're actually using a problem solving methodology. We don't tell you the exact way to do a conscious, competent person at height who might be stuck, how to get them down. We're giving you the tools prior. You might learn how a Prusik use is used. You might learn a little bit about a hall system. You might learn obviously about increasing friction when you're lowering something heavy you're learning how to belay, you know, you're learning particular knots, and then you have to assemble that together to then solve that given problem. And I think that problem solving methodology dovetails into that thinking practitioner model really, really well. So 
Yeah, absolutely. I I can think, of, and I think as well, going back to the Lisa thing, I think there is a huge responsibility that we as trainers and anyone listening to this who is imparting skill sets to others, there's a huge responsibility that we have in the way that we do that that allows them to be able to then become a thinking practitioner. It's not, it isn't a given. It's not like, I need you to start thinking for yourself. It's like that, that command isn't going to make them suddenly like, oh, I feel confident. And I think that there's confidence in skill and their comfort in skill that will lead them to feel more able to be able to be thinking practitioners. So it's like the scaffolding of the way that we teach, what skill sets are we teaching in what order? I think the coolest thing in a multi-day, four-day or five-day training at their own site, the thing that I really enjoy is towards the last few days, being able to point to some elements that we haven't done and said, okay, we're going to run that element and you're in charge. Everyone, this group now, I know you have the skills to be able to operate this element and they won't have seen it. They won't know what the process is to get from A to B, but do as a, as the, as a group, do they feel comfortable in being able to do that? And when they show that and they're figuring out which side the belay is on and the climber side on because that someone will say oh it's because the staples are on this side it's like a lot of cool it's like the the all the skills have started to come together to the point where they can start thinking for themselves and that's that is on ultimately what i think is one of our goals of a training anyway it's not to be able to make myself feel comfortable that they've i've taught them all these things or oh i covered belaying i covered knots so therefore i'm good it's do I leave my uh, participants feeling truly comfortable in running their elements? Like when I leave, are they going to be good? And I think that there's a part of that scaffolding, a part of the creating comfort that I think is an important component and a huge responsibility that we have to ensure that people become thinking practitioners. And I think the other thing is that people don't show up to our trainings as empty vessels who know nothing. They might be brand new to the challenge course, but I mean, thinking about, I don't know, Tammy from Leland and Gray. She's a very accomplished, deeply experienced physical educator. And I had her in an introductory workshop. And we had this great conversation around whatever you're doing around classroom management, around having meaningful discussions, around managing risk in your other sports. All of that plays into this. You don't need to set aside everything you already know about your craft to then learn all these new skills. And I think that's the risk piece is that when we add standards and very specific techniques and things that might feel a little bit more scary, I worry that it creates the perception that, all right, I have to set aside everything that I knew and like become a different person in a way, you know? And as a teacher, I think it's really important for folks who already have like a successful rapport and way of making decisions and a way of interpreting their craft that they bring that to this new area of their skill and not have to sort of start over. I mean, yes, it's all new skills, but likely their instructional techniques are going to be really applicable. I think both of those points are important because Phil was talking about comfort. You were talking about taking what you already know, and that produces a confidence, I think. And I think that's the other thing about a thinking practitioner. They, they portray a level of confidence that allows participants to ease into these experiences um, that we're providing for them in a way that if we were unconfident <laughs> would put them at disease and they probably wouldn't necessarily try things. And I think the flip side is a little bit interesting also. And I think the thinking practitioner model thinks about this is the arrogant overconfidence. And that's an area that's harder to tone back and help people with when they come in thinking that, um, they don't have anything to learn, perhaps not being sort of open to learning. 
um, that their way is the only way. And perhaps being blind, because part of confidence could be blindness to what is missing. So maybe they haven't had that illumination phase in their career yet. And they think they know the way and, um, or they know all the ways. So I, I think there's a, we, we often think of it as a quiet confidence. It's not mm. boastful and arrogant out there that, that the people, if you watch really highly skilled facilitators and practitioners, there's this quiet confidence where you're like, wow, they're amazing, but they're sort of even keeled. You don't see them getting rattled. Um, and they let the group really emerge as the highlight instead of themselves. Yeah. yeah and I think that there is a potential dark side to people thinking that they, oh, I'm, I, oh, I can be creative. I can hear mm-hmm. what you're saying and then just take it a different way. Like, no, that's, that's a different mindset than the thinking practitioner, because there's no thinking component. If you've just taken what we've said and said, well, I'm going to just change it and do something different. Right. You know, we've run up on courses that we've gone and seen, like potentially there have been incidents at that we've asked like, what were you, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, why did you choose to do this this way? And they're like, well, I just thought I would combine these two component elements and making this, nitro swing into a, 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 a thing where I'm clipping a kid in and spinning them around at a fast rate. And, oh, I didn't check that. Actually, that's not weight bearing. So there's like, yeah, there's sometimes where they see that then they're combining, but I, I wouldn't say that's a, that's the thinking practitioner. I think that's what you're suggesting there, Chris. It's you, they've taken a, a limited skill set and decided to blow it out of proportion. And that's not entirely them using best judgment also. I think it's easier to be able to tinker with an activity and be creative in that area. But you do have to be conscious that you're not being super creative and tinkering with SOPs um, because that's not necessarily in the same vein as being a thinking practitioner and what we're describing. Exactly. You know, in the example of a teacher, I wouldn't want to say, oh, well, you know, you're smart. Put clip people into the flying squirrel, however you think, like, that's absolutely not what I mean to imply at all. It's more like, I think it's this approach of, if you look at the whole idea of an adventure program, there's a, your brand new skills, but then there's also like, if you have teaching for a while and you have good rapport with your kids, you don't need me to tell you how to debrief this. You probably have a lot of good skills that you're going to bring to this anyway. So it's a matter of like, what do you bring in and then what, what's new. And then as you're suggesting, I think that's a really important point. What do you not mess with? Like you tinker with how you run key punch. You don't tinker with how you, you know, how you clip somebody into a, you know, an acceptable knot, for example. I think one of the, uh, the other things is that people who have parallel experiences, meaning that you might have somebody who's a trained arborist who's now going into the challenge course field or someone who's a, a climbing guide or they work in a, you know, a rock climbing gym. And they're bringing these parallel experiences into our field. And the thinking practitioner will take what fits Mm. really well and dovetail it in. And other people will just take what they do in that other environment and just place it into the new environment. I think we get really lucky at times that sometimes that works. And other times we've seen disastrous results Mm. of people applying a parallel field directly into this challenge course world and they're not exactly congruent so you have to be careful and i think a thinking practitioner can suss out um, someone who has good judgment who has a lot of experience who's willing to be humble and really think critically can 
carry some of those parallel experiences and bring them in, whereas other people do that poorly. And, and you need to really think about that before that happens. So, Yeah, I think that's a good consideration uh, for those who get to a certain point and think they don't need to learn anymore as well and, and aren't aw- uh, aware of the changing standards and, and, and being able to continually educate themselves because that's a component of that also everything isn't done one way. So you have to have the increase of knowledge and awareness to be able to appropriately be able to assess the situation and and deal with it in an appropriate way. Awesome. So uh, thank you uh, once again to Chris and Lisa for having this conversation. You can find out more information uh, about anything that High Five provides, any trainings that we offer on our website. And you can always email us at our first initial and then our last name at highfiveadventure.org. So that's either P. Brown or L. Hunt or C. Danboys. And we're always happy to accept your emails and your questions. We're here to help you. So thank you once again and have a great day. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving us a good guy. As a reminder, please, if you could uh, continue to share the podcast with any educators that you think would find this beneficial, as well as letting me know what information you'd like me to share about and who potentially you'd like me to interview at podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five, adventure.org. Thank you so much. Stay safe and stay connected.